Have you ever gotten an argument with somebody about how something was better than something else? We're very passionate about the things that we like. Hold up your phone if you have an Android phone. Yeah. Some of y'all are pretty timid about that. And you, you guys love these, right? You, you love the Android phone, even though you mess up every group chat. You don't care. You just love it. And, you, and it's, you know, it's got different features, and you like the things, and that's okay. It's cheaper than an iPhone. Hold up your phone if you've got an iPhone, though. Yeah, right? Yeah, there we go. You're proud of it. They cost more. They, they stop working when a new one comes out, right? And doesn't have as many features, but we like it. It's what we like. All right, so yell out your favorite of these things, okay? Coke or Pepsi? Oh, wow. So I used to live in Georgia, just south of where Atlanta, where the Coke factory is and everything, and you would hear Coke down there. But Pepsi up here, which is great because it's all the restaurants have up here, right? What about this? What about cats or dogs? Dogs. Oh, that's pretty resounding for the dogs. What about peanut butter or Nutella? All right, that was pretty good. That was pretty close. What about Josh or Scott? No, don't do, don't do that one. That would hurt their feelings. But we have many opinions, right? And we're passionate about those opinions, and we make these choices every day between different things, and that's no big deal until the choice is between God and money, or God and romantic love, or God and short-term pleasure. And we know what we ought to do, but deep down, if we're honest, we struggle to believe that God is better than all these things. And we choose what we want over God because we think that thing is better. Pastor Scott kicked off this series last week. We're asking the question, is the God that we worship the God that is the maker of this universe, the God that is holy and loving and just and merciful, or are we worshiping some cheap imposter? We saw this quote by A.W. Tozer when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But this quote goes on, and it says, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. And this is true not only of individual Christians, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as her most significant message is about what she says about him. Or leaves us unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. See, if we're not careful, we can try to manipulate God's image to fit into our desires. And when we look at the parts of cultures that we disagree with, we paint a clear picture of God's wrath against sin. We look at their sin. But when we look at our own sin, then we talk about how God is forgiving and holy and just and gracious and we highlight that part of him. But see, the true God is perfectly balanced in all of his attributes, justice and grace, compassion and conviction, truth and love. 
See, God is bigger and better than our minds can comprehend. And it's a constant struggle to center ourselves on the God of the Bible, taken holistically. But when we emphasize attributes, we're in danger of painting a picture of an imposter God. And that's how we can say that we serve and believe in the same God as someone else, but one person's God is always angry. And the other person's God is just apologetic if he ever asks you to do anything. Well, how can we say that we serve the same God because we emphasize and manipulate the picture to fit in to what we want God to be? And we're in danger of creating a warped, false God that looks nothing like him. And this is what the ancient people did. They took attributes of the one God and highlighted them. And they added a little bit of themselves, and there you have an idol. And they would you know, think to themselves, it's clear someone created all this, but let's not get too wild. Let's just make a water God, or a God of the moon, or a God of the sun. In the Old Testament, when Israel disobeyed God, they would begin to worship false gods like Baal. Here's a, a little picture of an idol. Uh, this is a, a picture of an idol of Baal, who's a Canaanite god. He's the god of weather, depicted ready to strike. You could see his hand raised, and also sometimes uh, depicted as a bull. Here is uh, Asarte. It's the next one, who would be uh, Baal's female counterpart. She would help with forti- uh, fertility. And then you've got a picture here of Dagon of the Philistines, part fish, part man, the god of grain and water. And there were many, many, many other false gods as well. And the people would do sinful things in the names of these gods, like sexual worship or human sacrifices or cutting themselves. And they worship these gods. But none of these gods were complete. They just took little bits of the power of the one true God and they emphasized it and they twisted it and they shaped it into a little figurine that they could sit on their nightstand. Certainly the one God couldn't be powerful enough for everything, so they made their gods smaller and more manageable and easier to manipulate. And we can do that as well. What we think of when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And last week we saw our temptation to believe that our God is too small. But God is bigger. And today we're going to see how that not only is God bigger and stronger, he is also better. He is good. But see, we're so tempted to chase after empty things. And we've created pictures and impressions of God that don't somehow live up to the things of this world. Imagine how small we must make our God, our picture of God, in order to choose drunkenness or sexual impurity or all these things. And say that those things are better than the God that made everything. For many of us, we serve a God that lives in a church on Sunday morning. We visit him every once in a while to make sure he doesn't get mad at us. We have trouble choosing this small G imposter God over sin and temptation. 
And we believe our fleshly desires are better. So we pick them over and over and over again. Jeremiah 2, God himself highlights this issue. He's speaking to the people of Israel who had the same problem as us. They have this sin cycle where God would do something amazing for them and they begin to complain eventually and become ungrateful and then God punishes them and then they get right and and then they worship idols instead of God and God allows them to feel the consequences of their sin and and they finally ask for forgiveness and they get right and then they disobey God and won't go into the promised land and God punishes them and they get right and etc 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 here's what God said about this problem that these people have and I believe it's our problem as well in Jeremiah 2 13 He says, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that hold no water. God says you and I have two problems. One, we don't want uh, want what he has. God says, you don't want what I have. And so you try and fill yourselves with empty things. And he is saying, I have this living water, this thing that can satisfy you, but you would rather go and dig your own wells and go out far away from me and scratch at the dirt and the dust to look for some type of relief. But I have this water that you are searching for. And these cisterns, these wells that you are building are broken. They won't even hold water. They might quench your thirst for just a moment, but eventually your mouth is full of dirt. God had brought these people out of slavery and he took care of them and gave them a home. But they continually chose dead, deaf, blind, and mute, and powerless idols over choosing God. How offensive. How stupid, right? But we do it too. See, our problem as Christians aren't just judicial, that we're breaking some arbitrary rules that God made up. No, our crime is more serious than that. It's a problem of appetite, what we crave, what we love, and we choose things that we feel like are better than God. How foolish. We're scraping at a dust-filled, empty well rather than partaking in the living water that never runs dry. But see, choosing these imposter gods shows a lack of understanding of who God is. Our view of God is too small, it's too weak. And when you're choosing lesser things motivated by lesser loves... And we choose broken things of this world like the love from people or the love from the feeling that we get when we eat or the love we get from looking good in the mirror or the love that we get when we stand on a stage and people applaud or the love from pornography or the love from being considered religious and respected, love from being taken seriously. Love from praise and flattery. Love from the flirtation and relationships with someone outside of our marriage. We choose those things over God. That's sin. 
See, sin doesn't start with an action. Fornication and sexual sins don't start with sex. It starts with a craving, with a want, and a choosing and believing that sin is better than God. Murder doesn't start with a violent act. It starts with someone being gnarled up with hate and anger and bitterness. And we can look at these outside uh, situations where someone murders somebody and we're like, how could they ever come to that? We know how they can get there. We have gone on that path. We might not have made it as far as them. But it doesn't start with the action. It starts with this desire in us. A choosing control over surrender. James 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We imagine in our lives that most of our problems come from without us. But they don't. They come from inside of us. The desires, when they're conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The prodigal son found out pretty quickly that the wells of this world are broken and empty. And he came to himself in Luke 15, verse 16. He is longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. And we've been there too. We chase after our sin and we find ourselves with a mouthful of garbage trying to satisfy us. Prodigal son had left his father's house of bounty to eat of trash in a pig pen. But these temporary and fleshly things are nothing compared to the feast that Jesus is for your life. Sin isn't better. That's a lie. God is far better. But see, if you haven't yet tasted of a vibrant walk with God, I could try and explain it to you, what it's like to have your belly filled with Christ, but it's like trying to explain a nice juicy steak to someone that's only eaten Slim Jims. It doesn't compare. It's like trying to explain what a warm apple pie with ice cream on the side is coming right out of the oven and you've only eaten Twinkies. There's no, there's no comparison here. God is better. And it's not hard. You just have to choose. You choose God constantly and consistently and surrender. Jesus offered that woman at the well Water that would quench that insatiable thirst inside of us that couldn't be filled with relationships. She had all these different relationships that she thought she could find happiness in. God offered that water to her. And Christ said, I can give you something that will satisfy you eternally, forever. And she accepted that. Yeah, he didn't dump a bucket of water on her head. She received it. She chose it. We can also try and make a God of our own religion. And we know, we talked about sin isn't better, but religion isn't better either. God is better. And we can make a God of our own religion, one that always agrees with us. A God that always has the same opinions and temperament as us. So that we can bring down judgment on anyone that doesn't agree with us. Because our God is like us. 
And our God is just a dim reflection of our desires. The Pharisees tried to replace the true God, the God of the Bible, with a God that was only concerned with rule-keeping. Pharisees had more to do's and don'ts than anyone could ever keep. In fact, they were so distracted by do's and don'ts that they missed Jesus. And sinless Jesus didn't even live up to their level of religiosity. And the Jesus of the Bible broke religious tradition on several occasions. He picked corn on the Sabbath and he ate with sinners and he told a man to carry his bed when the religious law said differently. And if Jesus walked into this room, we might also be surprised about the things that we think are so important that he might not feel the same way about. Religion isn't better. God is better. And we do this with many things, right? We, we form and fashion our, in our mind a God that's only concerned with the next election and with politics, or a God that's concerned with giving us success. Or a God that is trying to just make us happy. Or a God that's really cool with racism. He kind of likes it. Or a God that's tr- just concerned with the traditions. Or a God that just wants you to do whatever you want. God is perfectly balanced in all of his attributes. And these little false gods don't hold a candle. See, our mistake is that God is amazing and wonderful and majestic, and it's silly to chase after other things. And Jesus is standing before us today. For some reason, he loves us. And for some reason, he wants us to want him, and he wants to spend time with him, but we don't want him. And instead, we want to change him. And God wants nothing more than for you to sit and be quiet and to get to know who he really is. Not to impress our opinions and our thoughts on him, but to allow his thoughts, which are higher than our thoughts, to shape our ideas and our understanding of him. Hanging on every word and talking to him and and listening and waiting. God wants to fill you. And he wants to take away your emptiness. He wants to take away your guilt. He wants to fill you with amazing joy and peace and comfort. And God is bigger and God is better and and awesome and uh, infinite. And see, the real problem is not that you told a dirty joke or that you looked at something or you did something that you shouldn't. The real problem is that you wanted that more than you wanted God. And in that moment, you chose the weak and broken things of this world. So today, let's deal with that one sin, our core sin. God, I'm sorry that I don't want you right now. God, I'm sorry that I have a dim view of who you are because I know that you are infinitely better than anything. You're infinitely deep. And there's so much more to you to know and you're holy and you're good and you're just. And this little thing that I'm tempted with right now is broken and empty and there is nothing to it and it does not compare to you at all. God, I'm sorry I didn't want you. 
God, help me to crave you. God, help me to have an understanding of who you really are. God, change my appetites. God, help me to seek and to push and pursue anything that connects me with you. Help me to know how deep you are, how wonderful you are. Help me to see your glory and your goodness. God, I want to know you more. Help me to believe that you are better than anything else. When we have this dimmer view of God, a misunderstanding of how good he is, that's where every sin and idol starts. God, help me to know you better because I have believed the lie that other things are better than you. God, this relationship that I have isn't better than you and I will gladly give it up in order to chase you more. God, this money isn't better than you. It's fleeting and it flies away and it doesn't last. God, my career isn't better than you. I know I like the little pats on the back that I get every day, but that doesn't compare. God, this addiction isn't better than you. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep struggling against it, and I might fail in the future, but I'm going to keep understanding and keep believing that ultimately you are better. God, help me to choose you over all of these things. See, the way to fix our sin issue is not to try harder and to grit our teeth and to muster up enough strength to be able to be the best version of ourselves. The way to fix it is to get, uh, get to know the real God and have a real picture of the understanding of who he is and how big he is and to tear down these God imposters in our life. Colossians 3.2 tells us it this way. It says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. And if you were to look at your life and, and to try and figure out a percentage of what part of your life is concerned with the things of the earth and what parts of your life are concerned with the things of God. Where are you sitting? That old hymn, I love it, I quote it all the time, but it's so deep and awesome when it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And as you understand how big he is and how deep he is and how good he is and how much he loves you and how awesome and powerful he is, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Do you really believe that God is better? The fight against our sin problem and misordered priorities is not about willpower or trying harder. No, we have made the mistake in believing that God isn't better. Psalm 63, David said, Your steadfast love is better than life. And my lips will praise you. God is better. Melissa Kruger said, God is better than material wealth. God is better than relationships. God is better than sexual freedom. God is better than comfort and ease. And 
all of these things are revealed to us through Christ and what he did on the cross. He is better. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is why we see in the early church, as we look back, this is what they believed as they gave up everything to follow Jesus, even if it meant death. And that's so foreign to us. We don't even want to be a little bit uncomfortable. We don't want to push through a little bit of awkwardness to get there. Take a little bit of our time. Why? Because our God is so small. And our God is not that good for us to choose him over the things of this world. So treasure Jesus. Feast on Jesus. Want Jesus. Pursue Jesus and push towards him every day, all the time. Put it on the top of your list. And as you do this, you can have no other reaction but to grow in your love for Christ. We're not talking about doing it out of duty. We're talking about learning how amazing he is and falling in love with him and choosing him over the things of this world that are empty wells that hold no water. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, fountain of living water. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that could hold no water. The temptation is to believe in a God that is not good enough. Don't mold God into this tiny little thing to sit on yourself somewhere. God is the most amazing thing imaginable, infinitely good, infinitely kind and loving. Don't shrink God in your view to some funny little statue. God is big and God is better. God will make every aspect of your life better. Not always easier, not always comfortable, but better. And no sin, and no desire, and no pleasure, and no power, no feeling is better. God is better. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as the band comes. We're going to pause and take some real time to pray because a a message like this, we don't uproot this stuff in our lives with... 25, 30-minute message and just everything's better and we change. This is real, deep work that needs to happen in our lives. We're going to take some time right now, and I'm going to give you some prompts, and we're going to pray. I'm going to give you some space to think in between and to pray on these things. Psalms 145. 9 says that the Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. There is nothing in creation that is better than the Creator. And all these even fleeting things that satisfy us for a moment are just dim pictures of how infinitely deep God is. And it's okay to enjoy things as much as we enjoy them in light of the fact that God gave them to us. 
So as they play, I'll give you these little prompts. And you jump off this diving board into your own prayer time. Just let God know right now in this moment how you feel about him in faith. And sometimes it means believing before you feel it. And things that you know in your head that you might not feel yet in your heart. Well, here's the first one. God, you are better than material wealth and things. God, you are better than power or respect. God, you are better than recognition and promotion. God, you are better 
than comfort. God, you're better than the fleeting pleasures of this world. God, you're better than the temporary satisfaction I get from bad habits and addiction. you are better than any other thing that I could worship. God, you are good, and I trust you enough to follow you because you are better than everything. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help us to understand who you are and that nothing you ask us to do is unreasonable, that it's actually for our good. God, help us to understand that everything in this world that's outside your will is so much less good that it's not even comparable. Help us to truly believe that you are better Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet chosen to put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. Maybe you tried to be a good enough person or tried to do some good deeds to 
earn your way there to a relationship with God and to one day heaven. But Jesus paid the price. He did it all on the cross. 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh walked this earth. An equal part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years. Never once sinned. And he taught. He said radical things like love your enemy. He did miracles. Proved that he was the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about. Then he laid down his life on the cross. An innocent person taking the punishment for all of us guilty people. And because he's God, he could do that. So every lie and every sinful thought, all the bitterness or the hate or the actions that you've done that have been outside God's will, the sin in your life, Jesus paid it all. He took the punishment that you deserved. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And it's a separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus paid the price. God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could call out to God right now. It's not about baptism or church membership or giving enough money or church attendance. It's all about Jesus. And there needs to be a moment at a time in your life where you can look back and you say, I chose Jesus over all of it because he is better. And I put my faith in what he did alone to save me. You can call out to God right now. It doesn't have to be fancy prayer. Words aren't even important. It's about a posture in your heart of repentance, turning from your sin. You don't have to have it all together, but a choosing Jesus over all of it. You could call out to him with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from all of that and I'm turning to you. I choose you. I accept you as my savior, my rescuer. God, save me. Put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And that alone. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice once and for all, that is the start of the most amazing journey, becoming a Jesus follower, becoming a Christian. This is a moment in your life that I know in my experience, I've never forgotten it. Time when I chose Jesus. 
If that's you today, I'd love for you to write that on the back of your connection card. I chose Jesus. That means you put your faith and trust in him alone to save you from all of your sin. Pastor Scott or I or even maybe Pastor Josh would love to reach out to you. You write that on your card and give us an email address or a way to follow up and tell you about this most amazing journey that you could ever go on called being a Christian. And all the other things that we add, all the other baggage that we put on, what that means is nothing compared to Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, as we continue to worship, I pray that you be honored and glorified in all of it. God, help us to see a glimpse, a picture of the fact that you are better than life and that we would lift up our voices in praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.